If you have um, a Bible or if you use the Bible app, join us in the Old Testament book of, of Haggai if you're there. All right, that's where we're going to be today, the Old Testament book of Haggai, chapter 2. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 10 through 19. So as you're turning there, um, I don't know if some of you might recognize these, these kinds of gloves. Does anyone know what these kinds of gloves are? I, these are dishwashing gloves, okay? My wife, Andrea, will, whenever she's going to wash dishes, right, she will always put these gloves on, always. I did not know such gloves existed until I married Andrea. And I told Andrea last night on our way to bed, I said, hey, would you mind if I use your dishwashing gloves? She said, yes, just bring them back because I can't wash the dishes without these. I mean, I've washed dishes before. I've never used gloves ever to wash dishes. And so for her, it's just that whole, that grime and that dirt that just for whatever reason, she just, she wants her hands to be clean when she's done washing the dishes. Being clean matters. Does it matter to you? Does being clean matter to you? I think it does. I think being clean matters. Um, some of you have a rule in your home, right? When you walk into the home or whoever's entering your kids, you, you have them take their shoes off, right? Some of you have that rule. Why do you have that rule? Because you like your house to be clean. You like your floors clean, right? I'm very appreciative of the sign in, in, in the restroom at a restaurant. that says employees must wash their hands before they return to work, which I don't know why they put, I just assume they already do. All right, you just kind of hope that you just, that's already happening. I'm not sure why they put a sign to remind you and remind their employees to do it, but they do. I'm appreciative of that. Being clean matters. Um, and then, you know, that little hand sanitizer people, and some, some of you may be that, right? I mean, they just have hand, the little things of hand sanitizer in their purse, at their desk, in their locker, wherever, the bedroom, whatever. You know, they just, every time, they just put a little, hand, you know, drop of hand sanitizer in the every time. It's like they're eating, and, you know, I don't know, maybe you're that way, but you know some people. Being clean matters to us. It matters. But I also want, want us to think for a moment that being clean matters to God. It matters to God. And I'm not talking about, like, physically clean, but I'm talking about spiritually clean. How we live our lives, living in obedience to God, it matters. It matters to him. Holiness matters to God. It matters. I came across a defi definition of holiness um, that I thought was pretty good, and, and it comes from a Nigerian Bible teacher, and I will not attempt to pronounce her name, but this is how she defined holiness, which I thought was really good. Putting God first and obeying him even when we don't feel like it. Putting God first and obeying him even when we don't feel like it. Being clean matters. Being holy matters. And making choices of holiness matter. And this morning, as we continue our study in this Old Testament book of Haggai, we're going we're to come across a, a truth again, a, a truth that, that I think we, we know, but we often forget and we struggle to live. And so here's the truth, all right? Here's, here's the truth that I want us to see from this passage this morning, and it's this. Holiness matters. To God, for us. Holiness matters to God, for us. So Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. Follow along if you would as I read. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the field of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you in all the products of your toil, all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider... Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. So I want to unpack these verses for us for a moment. I just want to kind of walk us through these verses. And I want us to to kind of unpack this truth. Holiness matters to God for us. First, let's just look at verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by the ha- by Haggai the prophet. Verse 11, thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. Now, God is speaking once again to his people through the prophet Haggai. And this is about three to four months after the first time he spoke to his people through the prophet Haggai. So in chapter 1, verse 1, you can, if you read it, it says it's in the sixth month. So now, verse 10 of chapter 2 tells us we're in the ninth month, the 24th day. So we're, we're nearing four months now since God exposed the excuses of his people for not doing what he had asked them to do. They were living in disobedience to him. He had told them to rebuild the temple. They didn't rebuild the temple. They were focused on living their own lives, being comfortable, doing their own thing, just ignoring what God had asked them to do. So God confronts their excuses They eventually then begin to rebuild the temple, and now they're starting to rebuild. And Matt spoke last Sunday how while they were rebuilding the temple, they were getting discouraged, and God spoke to them and spoke encouragement to them. But now here we have God speaking to his people again. And and he says this. He says, I want you to go get the priests because I want to ask them some Bible questions. Now, I don't know about you, but for those, of us, for those of us that have kids, when our kids were little, and even to this day some, when we put our kids to bed, we'll sometimes give Bible questions. We just kind of want to test their knowledge, right, just kind of help them learn things about the Bible. Well, God now is saying, listen, I want to ask you all some Bible questions. And he says, I want you to go get the priests, your theology professors, the pastors you grew up with, the churches where you grew up. I want you to go get anyone you think is an expert in the Bible because I have some Bible questions. And here's his first question, verse 12. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Basically, God is asking the question, can you become holy by touching something that is holy? Do you become holy by some kind of physical transfer? And the answer, no, you don't. Holiness is not something you receive by 
touching or coming in contact with something that is holy. It's kind of like if someone who has the flu touches someone who doesn't have the flu, the person with the flu doesn't all of a sudden not have the flu. All right? So that's kind of what God said. It's kind of this question. It's like you don't become holy by touching, let's say, the, the cross on a priest, right? Or you don't, say, you, don't, you don't become holy by taking communion. You don't become holy by growing up in a Christian home. You don't become holy by attending house church or serving in the church. You don't become holy by these things. And that's God's point. So, so then if you don't become holy, if holiness isn't transferred physically, then that leads us to understand that holiness must first happen on the inside. It, it must begin in the heart. Holiness begins with a change of heart. And that's exactly what Jesus said in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. He said, what, what comes out of a man, that's what defiles him. The heart is what defiles us. So true holiness comes first with a change of heart. And, and so I think that's what, what God is trying to help us people understand. And then he asks a second Bible question, and it's in verse 13. He says, Then Haggai says, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these things, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, It does become unclean. So again, God's saying, Okay, then, so can something become unholy by touching something unholy? Answer? Yes. Can someone get the flu by being in contact with someone that has the flu? Yes. Why is God doing this? Why is God asking these crazy questions? The people have started to put him first, right? They're starting to rebuild the temple, right? They're, they're, they're kind of, you know, you can hear the hammers in the background. They're laying the brick and mortar. And they, why is he doing this? Why is, he, why is he asking these people these questions about holiness and unholiness? I think the answer is in verses 14, 15, and 16. Then Haggai answers, and this is God speaking through his prophet Haggai. He says, so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. So is it with these people, with this nation, and so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? See, I think what God is doing here, he's in the midst of his people putting him first. He's reminding them of what life was like for them when they didn't put him first. And he goes on in verse 16, and he says this, Before you really put me first, what was life like for you? And he says in verse 16, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. You worked hard, you worked hard, you worked hard, but it never satisfied. You never got out of it what you were hoping. You were trying to live for yourself, you're pursuing your own thing, but no matter how hard you tried, you, it never satisfied. And then when one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. And I think God's using this principle of uncleanness to remind his people of what life is like when you live in disobedience to him. He's trying to remind them, this is what life was like for, for you when you did not put me first. Don't forget that. And so he's reminding his people, no matter how hard you were pursuing your own dreams, your own wants, while ignoring what I wanted for you, while ignoring what I had told you to do, it's not worth it. It never satisfies and so he's using this principle of uncleanness, I think, to, to help us understand that disobedience isn't worth it. 
Well, why does that matter? Verse 17. He says, I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. And we've we've learned already through this little book that God's heart is to be with his people. God's heart is for you to be in his presence, to experience his presence. And what he's reminding his people, I think, is when you're living in disobedience to him, it becomes an obstacle to you and for you to experience the presence of God in your life. And he's reminding his people, this is what happens. This is what life was like for you when you were living in disobedience to me. It affected our relationship. I've I've told you um, in the past about my addiction to pornography for about 20 years. I can tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, it impacted my relationship with Andrea. And my struggle with it, even in our married life. It affected our communication it affected just my attitude toward her. I mean, it just affects every. That's what sin does. Living in disobedience to God, it impacts your relationship. If a husband's looking at porn, a wife's looking at porn, it's going to impact their relationship. Their communication, their intimacy, it always does. And God's saying, listen, when you're living in disobedience to me, it impacts our relationship. It always does. And we know this from Isaiah chapter 59 Verse 2, and I want you to turn there. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. These are two powerful verses. If you're ever in communication with someone who doesn't know Jesus, and you're wanting to help them understand how their sin separates them from God, these two verses will help bring out the truth of that. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. He says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. Verse 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. The prophet's song is what hinders our relationship with God is our sin, is our disobedience to him. It creates this wall, this obstacle. And I think in Haggai, what he's trying to help his people understand is that when you live in disobedience to me, it impacts our relationship. It impacts your ability to to experience the presence of God in your life. And he's saying disobedience isn't worth it. Not only does it bring God's discipline, but it creates this wall in your intimacy with God. And I just wonder sometimes if so many churches are not experiencing the presence of God, if so many families, marriages, house churches aren't experiencing the presence of God in, in our lives, simply because God's people are living in willful disobedience to him. Holiness matters to God. That's why he's talking about it. It matters to him. And sometimes I think we got to stop blaming church, stop blaming our schedule, stop blaming our past, stop blaming our parents, stop blaming our spouse, stop blaming our, our whatever it is, our lack of time for our lack of intimacy with God. And we need to take a good hard look in the mirror. I need to take a good hard look in the mirror because it's very likely that the person staring back at me in the mirror is the one who's creating the obstacle to intimacy with God. Because my hands are dirty. Because I've been living in willful disobedience to him. And God says, listen, it's not worth it. It wasn't worth it. And he says, listen, I want you to experience my presence. Holiness matters to me, God says, But it matters to me because I love you and because I want to be with you. I want you to experience my presence with you. 
And that's what he goes on to say there in, in, in verse 17. He says, I, I did these things so that you would wake up, see your sin, see your disobedience, so that you could turn to me and experience my presence with you once again. And so let me ask a question. What sin, whether it be sin of the mouth, words, attitude, choices, relationship, what sin do you need to say no to? What sin do you need to repent of? Do I need to repent of before the Lord so that we can begin to once again experience the loving presence of God in our lives and in our families? Holiness matters to God because he loves us, because he wants you, he wants me, he wants us to experience his presence. But it also matters for us. Holiness matters for us. Us. Look at verse 18. He says, Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider. It's almost like through verses 10 through 17, God looks back and he reminds his people, this is what life was like when you were living in disobedience to me. But he says, from this day forward, since you've laid the foundation of the temple, since you have now begun to do what I've asked you to do, since now you put me first, well, what's that tell us? There's been a change of heart in God's people. They're now doing what God had originally told them to do. And if holiness begins from the heart, then that tells me that God's people have had a change of heart. How do we know this? Because they've begun to lay the foundation of God's temple. So there's somewhere along this line, from the moment God exposed their excuses to the point where God's people started building the temple, there was repentance. There was repentance. There was this acknowledgement. God, I've been in sin against you, willful sin against you, and I am sorry for that. Please forgive me. And the evidence of that is now I'm going to do what I knew you told me to do all along. I'm going to obey you. And what's this mean then? If, if they're now rebuilding the temple, it means now they've turned back to the Lord and now they're experiencing the presence of the Lord with them as they obey. How do we know that? Chapter 2, verse 4. God says this. They've started to rebuild the temple. He says, yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work. Why? For I am with you as you obey, as you live in holiness, as you live out who Christ has made you to be, who is holy. He says, you're experiencing my presence with you. I am with you. It's not that God ever left. It's that we've created this wall between us and God because of our disobedience to him. And now that wall's down, and now we can experience the presence of God with us as Christians, as followers of Christ. And he says it even in chapter 1, verse 13. The people have begun to obey the voice of the Lord. And then it says, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. And he says, I am with you, declares the Lord. God's saying, listen, when you live in obedience to me, you get to experience my presence with you as you obey. The Apostle Paul said the same thing, right? He said, as you walk in step with the Spirit, as you are led by the Spirit, you experience the fruit of the presence of the Spirit in you. You say, well, I just want to experience the presence of God in my life. Here's the answer. Put God first. Obey. Holiness matters to God, and it matters for us. If you want to experience the presence of God in your life, obey. Every choice you make to obey Christ is a choice to experience the presence of God in your life. 
We see that all throughout the Old Testament. And I think that's what Paul is saying in, in Galatians chapter 5. Every time you choose to live in obedience to Christ, every time you make a choice to obey Christ, you're choosing to experience the presence of God in your life. Because it's the Holy Spirit that's saying, no, don't do that. Holy Spirit's the one going, yeah, you need to say that. Holy Spirit's the one going, yeah, you need to go there. Holy Spirit's the one going, no, you shouldn't go there. You're, it's happening all the time. And he's just saying, listen, if you want to experience the presence of God in your life, obey. But listen, let's be honest. Putting Jesus first is sometimes the hardest thing to do. And it, it could involve suffering. It did for Jesus. Right? It says that Jesus was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Being obedient meant the cross for Jesus. Being obedient meant prison for Paul. Being obedient meant getting your head chopped off for John the Baptist. Being obedient meant being misunderstood if you're the mother of Jesus whose name is Mary. Being obedient isn't always easy. It may involve suffering. But what he's saying is, as you obey, I am with you. The real blessing of obedience is the fact that you get to experience the presence of God with you as you obey. And, and I want to be careful here. I'm not talking about obedience to where, or blessing, kind of like this health and wealth gospel, right? Where you believe Jesus Christ and all of a sudden your bank account's going to go up and you're not going to be sick anymore and all these different things. That, that's not what I'm talking about. Because oftentimes when you surrender your heart to Jesus, life gets harder. You end up with less in your bank account, all right? Because you're giving it more away. All these, that's just the way it is. But we can't ignore here, too, what he's saying. And we're going to see in verse 19 that God does bless obedience. He does bless obedience. And we see this in verse 19. Let's look. He says in, in verse 19 of chapter 2, he says, Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. Love this next phrase. But, this is God speaking, but from this day on, what's he say? I will bless you. I will bless you. I, I think what he's saying, there's a spiritual lesson here for his people. He's saying, even though you may not see the benefit yet of putting God first, there will be a benefit. It may not look the way you think or you want it to look. The blessing may be different than what you think or want, but God says, listen, I will bless obedience. When you put me first, I will bless that. And just like when you put a seed of corn in the ground and you have to wait months to harvest that seed, he's saying, would you live in obedience to me? It may be a while before we see the fruit of that and the blessing of that, but God promises there will be fruit. There will be fruit for your obedience, for doing the right thing, for putting God first, for saying no to sin. There will be fruit from that. There will be blessing from that. He says, I will bless you. And as I said earlier, one of the greatest blessings of obedience is experiencing the presence of God with you as you obey. My dad is a, is a big hunter. He loves to hunt. I so desperately wanted to love to hunt because I loved being with my dad. So I said, Dad, take me on a hunt. I was probably in junior high or so. He said, all right, let's go rabbit hunting. If you've ever been rabbit hunting... Um, it's totally different than deer hunting where you sit in a stand and be quiet, which would be awful for me anyway. Um, that, that, that would be horrible to have to sit for hours. Um, so I'm not going to like deer hunting at all. Rabbit hunting. So this is what we did. We got, it was cold. It was back in 
like I said, in middle school, and got all dressed up, got the boots, got my gun, which is awesome, and we're walking around in this field or in, or in this, this, these woods, and if you've ever been rabbit, you're like walking through briars and thorns, right, because that's where these, these rabbits make their, their home, right, for protection, so I'm like walking through, it was awful, I hated it. I'm like, I'm getting cut up. It's early. It's cold. I'm like, I couldn't stand it. And I'm complaining. It was, it was horrible. But the whole time, who's walking by my side? My dad. It was two hours of just being with my dad, even though it was hard. I just got to be with my dad. And when it comes to putting God first, when it comes to walking in holiness, when it comes to being obedient, it sometimes is very, very hard. But as you're walking through the difficulty of doing what God wants you to do or what he has said to do, right next to you is your heavenly father just walking right with you. And the blessing of obedience oftentimes is experiencing the presence of God with us as we obey. As we obey. And so... God is saying, listen, holiness matters. It matters to me, and it matters for us. It matters for you, for you to experience the presence of God in your life and for you to experience the blessing of God in your life, he says. But there's another reason why holiness matters, and we don't see it directly here in Haggai, but I want us to see it in the New Testament. It's written um, from Peter's first letter. So turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Holiness matters. It matters to God. It matters for us. We want to experience his presence. We want to experience his blessing. 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verses 9 through 12. Peter writes, he's writing to the church. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. He's saying, walk in holiness. Live in obedience, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among those who don't know Christ honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Holiness matters to God. Holiness matters for us. And holiness matters for mission. There will be opportunities because of how you live your life as a Christian that the Holy Spirit will bring so that you get an opportunity to talk to people about Jesus. I've told you before that we live next door to, or our next door neighbors are Muslims. Great friends of ours become amazing friends of ours. And about a year or so ago, they invited our entire family over for tea and whatever else. And so we, and they wanted our, our whole family, our kids and everything, from Grant all the way down to Kate. So we're sitting in their, in their living room, and, and we're just having tea and just having a conversation. And all of a sudden, they ask us this question. Why is it that your kids follow your faith? I mean, it's like, right? It's like, here you go. And then they asked our kids that question. They looked at our kids and said, why is it that you follow their faith? Why is it that you follow it? 
And so we had an amazing opportunity right then and there to talk to our neighbors about Christ and how it's not like just a religion. God's changed our hearts. He's a person. We follow him. We were able to share the gospel with him. Our kids were able to share the gospel. Why? Because they saw something different as they watched us outside with our kids or how we talked. They saw our conduct. They saw how we lived our lives. And through that, God provided an opportunity for us to share the gospel. Jesus said the same thing. He said, let your light so shine before men so that when they see your good deeds, they will what? Glorify your God who is in heaven. So holiness matters. How you live your life, the things you see, the things you say, the things you do, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your kids, the relationships you're in, what you watch, all those things matter. They matter to God, for us, for mission. But, you know, I, I read this and I listen to this and I hear this and I'm going, man, this is a huge problem for me. Because I can tell you totally, I mean, being honest, I didn't do every, I didn't put God first in everything yesterday. There were things I thought, things I said, things I, said, things I did where I didn't put God first. There's things today and there's things tomorrow and the day after that where I'm not going to put God first. I want to, but because of my own selfishness and sinfulness, right, I'm just, that creates a problem, which is why Jesus is such good news, why such good news? So you say, Mark, where's, where's Jesus in Haggai 2? Go look at verse 18. Haggai chapter 2, verse 18. He, God is speaking, right? And he says this. He says, since the day, chapter 2, verse 18, that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. What have they done? They've laid the foundation. What's one of the first things you do when you lay a foundation? You lay a foundation stone. You lay what's called a cornerstone. And it's the very first stone that you put down in that foundation that guides all other stones in that structure that you're building. And so this tells us that as God's people were rebuilding the temple, they have laid the foundation. They've laid the foundation stone. And if we go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, the passage we just read, and if we look at verses 4 through 6, this is how we see Jesus in Haggai. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 6, Peter writes, As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, and this is God speaking, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him, the stone Peter is a person, Whoever believes in him, Jesus, will not be put to shame. Hallelujah, that is amazing. So in those moments when you feel like I've blown it, I've made all these mistakes, I've done all this stuff, can I be clean? Answer, yes, because there is a cornerstone who is chosen and precious. And if you surrender to him and you have surrendered to him and you're believing in him as a savior of your soul and the rescue of your heart, you will not be put to shame. How is that possible? Hebrews 10.10 tells us. Hebrews 10.10. And I love this passage, and I love it in the New Living Translation. Let's put that on the screen. Hebrews 10.10. It says this. 
And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. How often? Once for all. Once for all. Jesus has made you holy once for all time. All time. So it's as if, as the people were rebuilding that temple and they're laying that foundation stone, the Father's going, oh, there's coming another stone. There's coming another one. And it's not a physical stone, it's my son. And he's going to come and he's going to live the perfect life and he's going to go to that cross. And so when you believe in him and surrender your life to Jesus, he's going to make you clean forever, past, present, and future. He's going to make you holy. And then here's what he's going to do. He's going to put his Holy Spirit inside you to empower, empower you to live holy. Love it. Does holiness matter? You bet. It matters so much to God that he put his son on the cross to make you holy so that you and I could be in his presence forever. Because that's how much God loves you. He wants you to be with him so much so. He says, I know you can't be holy on your own. So I'm going to send my holy son to a cross to bear your unholiness. And when you surrender to him and you believe in him, he's going to put his holiness in you forever. And so you can walk in holiness. And you can walk in holiness with me, he says. Love it. Does holiness matter? Absolutely. It matters to God. It matters for us. It matters for mission. And you say, all right, so, so what now? What's the next step? And as a band comes, let me just lay out a few next steps for us. If you're here and you don't know Christ, the first thing I, I, would, I would suggest to you and I would implore you and I would beg you to is just to have your heart sanitized. Receive Jesus this morning. Allow Jesus to make you holy. You don't become holy by doing something physical or good works or whatever. You become holy when you surrender your life over to Jesus Christ, and he makes you holy. But for others of us, and I think this is most of us here, some of us need to just wash our hands. Some of us need to come forward this morning. We need to repent of our disobedience to the Lord, and you know what it is, and I know what it is. And we need to get on our knees before the Lord. We need to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I've said. I'm sorry for my attitude. I'm sorry for ignoring what I know you've told me to do. And we need to get on our knees and we need to ask the, the, the Jesus who went to the cross to forgive us. And he says, if you confess your sins before me, I will forgive you. I love you so much. I love you so much. And you need to wash your hands. And then the last is just keep, for some, just keep swimming in the soap suds. Right? As I was thinking of this, I just have this picture of my kids when they're little in the tub and they're just covered in soap suds. And they're just joy. There's so much joy. They're having a, a, just so much fun. Right? And then there's, for some of us, we just need to rejoice because Jesus has made us holy. Not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. And then he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, be holy. Right? Here's our motivation. God says, because I am holy. Because I have made you holy. The cross, it's the final word that says, listen. You're holy, therefore walk in holiness because I am holy. 